0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive into the updates, interviews, and yes, even processes that will help your organization thrive. My name is Rami Alijil, and my goal is to help HR managers and business owners create an environment where their people are their organization's competitive advantage. Today, we are going to answer a few listener questions to get us started around EEOC reporting. We're going to look at 2018 labor updates and what to do with an FSA when an employee terminates. Oh. And don't forget, we post to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and I would love to hear from you on there with any of your questions. You can also subscribe to us by going to peopleprocesses.com, where you will receive special subscriber-only content for free. People Processes is also available wherever you get your podcasts. It syndicates on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher Radio. So first up, our question about gender reporting and the EEO1 survey. So here was the question we got. How do we report gender-neutral employees for EEO-1 reporting? This is a complicated one. Um, first, let's talk about who's required to do EEOC reporting, because I know many of our listeners are not. Subject to Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 as amended, your company needs to be uh, have more than 100 employees. Uh, you also could have fewer than 100 employees if the company is owned by or uh, corporately affiliated with another company. Uh, and the entire enterprise employees, a total of 100 or more employees. Uh, finally, federal government prime subcontractors and contractors, uh, which are subject to the Executive Order Eleven Two Forty Six, with 50 or more employees and have a prime contract or a first-tier subcontract amounting to $50,000. All three of those, 100 or more employees, part of an organization or corporate affiliation that has more than 100 employees, or a federal uh Prime contractor or subcontractor doing more than $50,000 of business with more than 50 employees, you all have to do EEOC reporting. So Self-identification is the quick and short answer. It's the preferred method of identifying the gender information necessary for the EEO-1 report, and employees should be reported as the sex with which they identify. If the employee declines to self-identify, employers may reasonably use other available employment records or observations to determine the most appropriate sex determination. However, the situation remains that the only choices on the EEO-1 are for male or female. Until the EEOC addresses another gender or non-binary option, employers are simply required to report all employees as either male or female, even when an employee chooses not to identify as one of the two genders. Uh, Just as a reminder, EEO-1 reporting for calendar year 2017 must be filed by March 31, 2018, and must include information on each employee's race, gender, and job category. So that's the quick and short summary. I wish I had a better answer for you, but there's just no spot on the form and the EEOC hasn't updated it, so you just gotta pick one. Now our next question is about the transfer of flexible spending accounts on employment termination. So here's the question. Can an employee who terminates employment but still has money in his or her flexible savings account, HFSA, continue to use it for claims? Or could that be money be rolled over into his health savings account with his new employer? This is a good question. People get HSAs, FSAs, MSAs confused all the time. IRS code section 125 regulations uh, governing health flexible spending accounts do not permit disbursements, transfers, or rollovers, period. Uh, FSA contributions can only be used to reimburse eligible expenses incurred while the employee is covered during the plan year, including any grace period or carryover period if the particular employer's uh, FSA plan includes one of those provisions. If the employee terminates, his or her FSA coverage period ends unless COBRA continuation coverage is elected. For instance, if the plan year begins January 1, your employee's last day of termination is June 30th, he may submit claims for eligible expenses incurred between July, January 1 and, July, and June 30th, no other time. If, however, he elects COBRA to continue making FSA contributions, It'll be on an after-tax basis at that point. He may continue to incur claims eligible for reimbursement. In summary, unused FSA contributions cannot be cashed out or over to an HSA, period. That money is sacrificed. Now, our last question of the day uh, is a very generic one, and I don't have much information about the asker, so I'm going to kind of do a little guessing here. The question is, we are in the process of revising our employee handbook are there any anticipated new laws that will require policy changes in early 2018? If so, we'll probably wait for these new policies before finalizing the handbook. Okay. There's, yes, there's, there's a lot and there's always going to be. So it's not easy to predict changes to laws or regulations, particularly when there has been a lot of activity in the courts and in Washington recently. Uh, With that said, some of the big changes that have come up in uh, late December, 2017, the NLRB was active in, overruling several decisions that significantly impacted employers. One decision, Boeing Company and the Society of Professional Employees in Aerospace, overruled provisions NLRB precedents, previous uh, NLRB precedents, that in recent years resulted in successful challenges to employer policies, workplace rules, and handbook provisions for the indirect impact they had on protected concerted activity. In previous cases, some of those challenges related to something other than activities that are protected under the NLRB. LRA, For example, in one case, the policy in question required nurses and doctors in a hospital to foster harmonious interactions and relationships. As you can imagine, cases using the standard adopted uh, language in prior NLRB decisions caused a lot of confusions and uncertainties for employers as it was unclear how they could create a safe and harmonious workplace without being challenged with labor law violations. The NLRB's December 14, 2017 decision created more predictability for employers by establishing a new standard for evaluating company rules that consider the extent of potential impact on NLRA rights and the business justification for creating those rules. To help employers make sense of the new standards, the NLRB published three categories of rules and how they would be analyzed or interpreted by the NLRB in future cases. There are examples on their website as well. Uh, This decision may provide a good opportunity for reevaluation of your handbook provisions and other employer practices and make some updates. I recommend you work with counsel or an HR advisor to help analyze any new provisions using the standards established in that case. Uh, Again, that December 14th, 2017 decision just changed the overall structure of a lot of handbooks that have to deal with uh, labor and creating happy workforces, which pretty much all of ours do. So I would say, yeah, there's a ton going on. It's time to take a look. Uh, They've given us enough guidance to work with. Separate from that, there are, of course, tons of specific state changes that have been going on from minimum wage and uh, labor protection and uh, questions you can ask during interviews and non-discrimination issues. There's just tons going on. This takes us to a broader topic, which we'll be getting into in some of the other episodes. The key with processes around your human resources, is that they provide the ability to continually update and get better. You can't just make a handbook and then not look at it for three years. Uh, A lot of our clients have five to seven updates in a handbook in any given year, just to maintain compliance. So you need a system that alerts you when these changes are made, allows you to update the handbook itself or any other you know, required documentation and distribute it rapidly to your employees. And I know that's a a big step. We're going to get more and more into the actual processes that you need to set up in your organization to um, make that a seamless and, and doable thing so that HR managers and business owners don't have to get dragged down by this stuff. Uh, in future episodes, but this first episode, we wanted to just dive into some questions to show kind of the information that we can help you guys uh, answer quickly. I hope this has been a little helpful. Uh, if you guys submit questions, or ladies, and and there are um, you know broad questions like this, I'm just going to kind of rant for a little bit. Um, because I don't know enough to really answer you. If you provide more information during your questioning, I'd sure appreciate it. What kind of organization you are, how many employees you have, what state you're in. That's gonna really help me. Also, maybe the last time you updated your handbook, that's always a good thing to know, so it can help me kind of tell where your changes need to be. Thank you for tuning in to People Processes Podcast. My name is Rami Alijil, and I appreciate the time you spend uh, looking at this information, listening, and investing in your people. I hope you go have an amazing week. You get all your work done. And if there's anything we can do to help you, contact us at peopleprocesses.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you.